And so the topic for discussion today, we're, we're not supposed to start for two more minutes yet, but I'm going to go ahead and start. Because um, we have some discussing to do today. The implications of our spirit and flesh duality. What? Okay, so we're spirit and flesh. But what does that mean to us? How does that play out in our lives? Uh, we've already mentioned one way in which this spirit-flesh duality affects us. And uh, that is that there's conflict within us. We're going to talk more about that conflict in the next two class sessions. Um, I thought this was kind of cute. <laughs> I think this probably describes the human condition. <coughs> Have an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other. I'm also deaf in one ear. Um, the question is, <coughs> which ear are you deaf in? <laughs> I've never heard that part. What's that mean? <laughs> it means you've got, you know, the angel speaking in one side and the devil speaking oh, in the okay. other. Oh, okay. I got it. Um, so I, I think that's probably true of all of us. The question is, <coughs> which ear are we deaf in? And the truth of that, about that is, we choose to be deaf in one ear or the other um, every day, every moment that uh, a situation presents itself. But this really does kind of describe the, uh, the condition of mankind. Uh, we have different voices that speak to us and how we respond will depend on which voice we listen to and to some extent on which voice we're trained to listen to and are accustomed to listening to. And so, um, the first implication that I want to mention here is that spiritually minded people comprehend spiritual truths and others don't. Um, and there's a scripture to that effect in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 to 15. And I want to just, first of all, just read through this and uh, the colors will make sense, I think, shortly. And then we'll break it down and, and spend a little time thinking about what, what the meaning of this really is to us. All right, so we have the Apostle Paul speaking to the church at Corinth. And as you know, the church at Corinth was undergoing a lot of turmoil because of competition, envy, uh, bad attitudes toward one another, even to the point where people were taking each other to court. People had wrong-headed ideas that Paul would spend a lot of time sorting out, but he ends up telling them that the most important thing that they can know is that unity comes about by respecting each other and ultimately in chapter 13 by having love for one another. Uh, but here in chapter 2 he begins dealing with this problem of disunity where you have one guy who says, well, the Apostle Paul baptized me, and another guy says, well, I was baptized Peter. And can you imagine if Jesus had baptized anybody, how that special that would make that person? And um, because they were using this as a way of kind of finding their place in the pecking order. And this is Paul's, part of Paul's response to that kind of competition. He says, now we, and I think he's talking about the apostles there, have received not the spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. 
And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. So the Spirit is teaching the apostles, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So he's talking himself, being a spiritual person, having received the words from the Spirit of God, he's talking to people who are spiritual, he would like to think. Then he goes on to say the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. So somehow, being spiritual, being spiritually minded, sort of <coughs> creates a, a wall of protection again uh, for you against the judgments of others. He goes on then in the next verse to say, in the next chapter, I skipped a verse there intentionally, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, but I, brothers could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you're still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Well, we're humans, Paul. What do you expect of us? Yeah, we, we act in human... No, he expects something different, other than people acting in a human way, other than people acting in a fleshly way. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Now there's an insult for you. You, just got, you guys are just human. <laughs> yeah, well, you're supposed to be more than human. Now let's go back, back up a little bit and talk about this Again, I, I guess most of you probably figured out what I've done here with the colors. In yellow, when he talks about things that he that things of the spirit, I put that in yellow. And by contrast, not everything, but uh, just for illustration purposes, put in blue when he talks about the things of the flesh. So now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who's from God that we might understand. So. With the Spirit of God that they have received, they can understand the things given to, uh, given to them by God. And we impart this not, in, not by, uh, taught by human wisdom. Okay, so we're talking about the flesh here. Here's that duality that we were, we've been talking about. But taught by the Spirit instead. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Alright, let's talk about this word, this natural person, this, I, I mentioned to you in a previous class that when you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're in 1 Corinthians now, when you get to chapter 15, Paul sets up a comparison between two bodies, the body that we're in now, which he calls, in some translations of the Bible, you'll read the natural man, the natural body, and he compares that with the spiritual body, the body that we'll receive on, at the time of the resurrection. And the implication is that while you're in the flesh, while you're the natural man, you're limited. 
in some ways, but when you inherit a spiritual body, when your spirit finally is at home, <clears throat> in a body that's permanent for it, a body that doesn't decay, then those limitations will be gone. You'll be more powerful, you'll be more glorious, and he gives this long description. Well, the, the comparison he sets up here is exactly the same comparison. He's comparing spirit with natural here, as it appears in the ESV that I'm reading from. But this word natural is the word soul. So he's talking about that which is suited to the flesh, that which is suited to the soul, and the spirit being a higher level of consciousness, the part that connects to God. He's saying that the spiritual level is greater than this fleshly level. And so if you just live like people live from day to day, you're living this sort of soul-based life. You're living this human, this natural life. But if you elevate yourself to the level of the spirit so that you can actually connect with God, see we've gone from base level now to spirit level where you connect with God. If you do that, then all of a sudden truths become evident to you that were not evident to you before. Do you guys believe that? I do. I think you'd have a hard time reading through the New Testament, analyzing verses this way, and not coming away with a much stronger sense than many of us grew up with of the pivotal nature of this relationship between our spirit and God's spirit. These things that we have tended to minimize to avoid being thought of as charismatic, we've sort of been over so far backwards that we've fallen in the other direction, that we have, by doing that, erased so much of what's important about the New Testament and our connection with God and the Spirit. And one of the things that I'd like us to accomplish in this class is to become accustomed to thinking this way to thinking about our connection with God and the Spirit, and to give us some exercise in doing so. And verse like this kind of forces you into thinking this way, doesn't it? Have you ever just, you know, read this just literally, phrase by phrase, and thought about what this means? It means that if you're not connected with God and the Spirit, there are just some things that you're not gonna understand. Nobody can explain them to you because you're going to think they sound dumb. You're going to think it's, it, it's folly to you. It's foolishness to you. But if you're connected with God in the Spirit, then the eyes of, of your understanding will be opened. You'll see the world in a way that you didn't see it before. So let's be enlightened. Because what happens when you're not enlightened? That's where we go in chapter, where Paul takes them in chapter 3. Can't address you as spiritual people. I have to address you like people of the flesh, like infants. So there's a time when you're expected to think this way. But if you grow, you're supposed to grow out of this fleshly sort of way of this box that you're in. You're supposed to grow out of that as time goes by. I fed you with milk, not with solid food, for you're not able to, you're not ready for it. And even now you're not ready because you're still in the flesh. 
So these guys have been Christians for a couple years now. Paul, this has been a while since Paul came through Corinth, established the church, baptized many people. And now he's writing back to them and he's saying, you're still not ready for it. Okay, it's time for you to outgrow this fleshly way of thinking. This way of thinking that causes you to be in competition with one another. That causes you to step on somebody else for your own self-advancement. That's the way people think. You're not supposed to think the way people think anymore. You're supposed to think the way spiritual people think. And that puts you in a different category. Puts you in a different vein, a different way of thinking. And even now you're not ready, for you're still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Did you realize that infighting in churches, where it comes from? <laughs> Fundamentally, Paul is arguing it's a lack of spirituality among you. It's a failure of connection between you and the Spirit of God. If you were properly connected, he says, this wouldn't be happening. Yes, sir. I just can't help thinking while you're talking about this, how often Jesus is asked questions, and he doesn't really answer the question directly, I think because what you're talking about, they're not even on the, the right level. They're not even asking the right question to begin with, and so he doesn't answer their question directly. He answers it with a parable, or he answers it with another question, and uh, we see him, I think, more distinctly there than anywhere we see someone who's on living in the spirit versus you know you have a contrast there between jesus being in the spirit all the time and the people around him being in the flesh and that kind of disconnect there and one one of the places we've already seen this in our class so far very clearly is when jesus is talking to nicodemus right he says and he even says to him if you don't understand you're supposed to be a teacher of israel and you don't under, even understand if I talk to you about physical things. How are you going to understand if I talk to you about things of the Spirit? And then he does talk to him a little bit about things of the Spirit, and it just blows him away. Um, so, you have to be tuned in. And the whole idea, well, not the whole idea, but one of the goals of this class is if we're not tuned in, to help us to tune in. And if we are tuned in, to help us to... to uh, uh, fine-tune our focus a little bit because no matter where you are along this path you can always improve it because we have Jesus as the example remember we said his focus on the things of the Spirit was laser focus he never left it. he didn't so much care about the fact that he didn't have food he was focused Matthew chapter 4 between Christ and Satan turn these stones into bread after 40 days of starvation Jesus says what? Man does not live by bread alone. But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's right. So he takes the physical and flips it over and talks about the spiritual, doesn't he? <clears throat> Great. What else? What, what, what does this... I, I want to hear you all <coughs> talk about this for a while. I'm done talking. I, I, I quit. <laughs> don't, we have, don't we have two spirits? Pardon? We have two spirits. Two spirits. We're born physically with a spirit. Okay, that's what we've been calling the soul, I think, what you're calling the spirit. And then when we're baptized, we get another measure of the Holy Spirit. <coughs> right? When, in Acts chapter 2, in verse 38, that we have heard so many times and know so well, uh, from childhood forward, 
there's a part of that that we tend to emphasize and a part that we tend to pass over. Um, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. That's the part that we remember. And what? Alright, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, is that literally true? <clears throat> yeah, it literally is. How do I know that? Well, because Romans chapter 8 says if you don't have the Spirit of God in you, you don't belong to Him. Well, and if you don't have, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, or a measure of the Holy Spirit, you don't have access to God. And Ephesians says, in two different occasions, in 1 Corinthians says one, once, that, it, that the Spirit of God is the mark that we receive that is the earnest of our inheritance. Um, so, how are we assured that we have salvation in Christ? Well, we have the assurance that God has given us of His Spirit. So, how sure are you that you have God's Spirit in you? Tell me, I You better be sure. <laughs> All right, you better be sure. You're in trouble. You better be sure about that. And if you're not sure about that, then you need to spend some time thinking, meditating, praying about that, and uh, do what we can to, let's do what we can to remedy that situation. What else are you thinking? I think part of the reason sometimes this is so hard is because our culture is a post-enlightenment Western culture, mm -hmm. and the thought that understanding could come from an outside source that is not just me working harder yes. and digging deeper. That's really foreign to mm -hmm. think, oh, some other force is going to lift the veil from my eyes and let me understand. Mm -hmm. We don't like that. It's out of our control. Mm -hmm. um, but that is what, I mean, isn't that what we're all trying to do as followers of Jesus is give up our control. But it just feels really... Um, we want a death grip on that and try to get the understanding for ourselves. And, and there is something about Western culture that's different, um, Western European culture that we come out of that's different from much of the rest of the world that, that sort of has a greater spiritual sense. Even if they're not spiritually minded people, um, and even if they don't believe in God, they still are, are, are more in tune to and aware of the... Um, the the, uh, the the spirit part of their nature. Um, it's been, as you know, many years in China, and this is something that's that I don't have to explain to Chinese. <laughs> I don't have to take any time at all on this subject when I'm when I'm teaching in China because they're much more in tune to this sort of thing, and and it, it's not scary to them at all. Well, the only part of it that's scary <coughs> to them is that they think spirits will come back and haunt them, you know, if they don't treat them well. So. They have a hungry spirits day where they have to feed the spirits, and they have a tomb sweeping day where they have to send money to their relatives through the air. Um, those kinds of things. I, I'm I'm not encouraging that kind of thought, but I am. I'm just saying that this is something that, as part of our culture, we, we just is is totally. And you use the word foreign. It literally is foreign to us, Gloria. Well, I just want to say there's something wonderfully and powerfully freeing about it. Okay, so while you can view it as threatening, and some of us do view it as threatening, and we want to hold on to control, it can, when you let go of that control, it can be freeing for us. And tell me more, what, what, in what way do you think this is freeing for you? Well, understanding that 
these things are, are not under our control and that, you know, that, that God is who he says he is and, and he is what he is. And, I mean, that produces, I mean, that's where hope comes from. I mean, if it's, if my hope has to be in myself, I'm hopeless. So. And that may be why people are so scared when it comes time to die. Because they, they viewed the, the sum of their life as being what they've been able to produce. And you actually hear people say things close to the time of their death, which I heard just recently from a relative. I hope I was good enough. Well, you know what? If that's, too late then. Yeah, no, no wonder the guy's scared to death, right? It's too late. He's afraid that he's not good. Well, you know what? You're not good enough. You're not. The only way you can be good enough is if God makes you good enough. Is if God says you're good enough. And that seems to have something to do, and I think we'll read more and more as we go through this class. It has more and more to do with the connection of our spirit to his spirit of our identity through the Spirit of God and walking according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh and minding the things of the Spirit, not the things of the flesh. We're going to see a couple of verses before we're done here. What else are you thinking? It's Isaac first. To that point, verse 2 kind of interests me because you know it talks about if there's still jealousy or you know other passages say, you know, don't let there be factions among you. Um, that that is indicative of not having God's spirit. You know, what is God's spirit? It's a spirit of love. And so you could almost say that verse 2 is the best verse of this to describe what it is that we, you know, when I'm trying to think about, well, how do I be in God's spirit? How do I have that in me? Uh, It seems as though the, kind of the foundation of it would be love. Because how else, you know, why does, he, why does he draw out jealousy and strife and certain people following men? It's because, you know, in my own limited experience, it's because we've lost sight of love. And that is the crescendo of 1 Corinthians, where he says, um, talks about respecting one another's gifts and valuing one another for their gifts in, in chapter 12. They, all the gifts come from God. They're not from you, they're from God. And then he says, and yet a more excellent way I show to you at the end of chapter 12, and that's when he launches into the great chari- uh, charity, the great love chapter, which is uh, the, the summation of all that he had to say about the division that existed among them. You well? Yes, sir. I was struck with the wording there um, are you not of the flesh and behaving only as human the human way I mean, you may have already emphasized this but then the last uh, part of that verse are you not being merely human right it seems to emphasize to me there's there's two things running simultaneously we're living in the flesh, but we're not of the flesh. Yes. We're living also in the spirit. So you're expected to be human, That's but right. you're not expected to be merely human. That's right. God expects more of us. Carly had her hand up a minute ago. I was just thinking about what Lori said. The reason that it is freeing 
is because it's not up to me. I can't, like you said, oh, I wish I can be, could be good enough. Well, I can't. Regardless of how good I really am, it's never good enough. Um, and I think that is where it's a relief. I mean, we saw in the Old Testament the rituals and the sacrifice, all the things that they did, we saw that they couldn't keep up. They couldn't do it perfectly. And so the relief comes when the Holy Spirit and Jesus comes in to us and lives in us, and we can be both flesh and spirit. Okay, that, and it, it, it should be a great relief to us when we find out it's not all up to us. Gloria had her hand up again, and then Eric. Well, I just think about what Jesus said, you know, um, well, in, in John 16, he was just talking about the advantage of him going away. And, you know, and he was saying that the helper, the, you know, the comforter, the spirit's going to come and dwell with you, which is far better for you. And, and it's, it's just so true that having God live within us is better than just having him lived among some people, a few people. <laughs> but now all of his people have him, have God actually living within them. I mean, that's far better. That's yeah, no, amazing. I've ever spent pondering that statement of Jesus, that it would be better for you, it'll be better for you when the comforter comes. Eric? Uh, well, obviously, you struck a nerve on these two passages because there's lots of good comments, but it's the, the depth of so much that's in here is incredible. But I keep going back to what uh, Mr. Geyer mentioned um, about behaving only in a human way or merely a human. You know, we, we've all, I, I've been called a lot of things. I've been called, you know, impatient or, or you're jealous or you're being envious or whatever it may be. We've all been called different things. I think I'm gonna, my wife's home with a sick child. I think I'm going to go home and ask her when she sees some of these uh, traits coming out to, to use different phraseology for me and say, you're just acting like a human, Eric. I, it really means that I don't know why. It just, just keeps sticking out to me. We've all heard the, the cliche, different things we, uh, we may fall prey to, but uh, I don't know if I want all you guys in here to tell me all the time I'm just behaving like a human, but my wife can. Um, I don't know. It just really struck a chord seeing that and how Paul uh, describes that. Yeah, that struck me too, and I did write it down in my notes to emphasize it, and, and we have, and I'm glad we have. But it's good to remember, isn't it, that, uh, that we're called to be more than just human. Uh, and through faith and through a focus on the Spirit, we can be more than just human. We can act in ways that seem um, superhuman. I don't mean in some kind of a miraculous way. I don't mean in that we have superpowers like the X-Men, but, um, but there is something more powerful, isn't there, when someone can act um, <clears throat> the way Jesus described in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, um, or the way Paul describes in Romans chapter 12 when um, someone uh, um, insults you or... or uh, demeans you and you come back with a blessing, curses you and you return a blessing instead. That is kind of superhuman, isn't it? Um, and that's not what the Corinthians were doing. Uh, I saw another hand a minute ago. Where is it? Oh, yes. Um, Patty. I keep a note in my Bible to remind me that 
I am, I don't belong to myself mm -hmm. and I don't belong to the world. Mm -hmm. That he is my anchor and that's where our peace comes from. And we weren't redeemed by physical things like it states in Peter about gold or silver. His blood is what redeemed us. So I think about that in being my anchor. It's not anything about myself. That's, um, we're going to put our finger on that one and come back to it uh, in just a few minutes in the last, latter part of this class when we talk about ways that we can keep ourselves reminded. I think that's really important. Okay, so we said only spiritually minded people comprehend spiritual truths. How will spiritual mindedness affect our behavior? That's the key to not living merely in the flesh. Okay. To be minded on things of the spirit should That's right. change us to a different kind, kind of people. It gives a totally different perspective to living in the flesh. Yeah. Now I've got a purpose. <coughs> I didn't have a purpose before. It plays out, but it, it plays out in your that's right. In your life. That's right. The spiritual mindedness plays right. out in your life. Fleshly mindedness also plays out in your life. Right. So you know, look at your life and how's it playing out and it tells you something diagnostic about your connection to God and the Spirit, doesn't it? Right. Kim? Plus, when, when we go out as lights in the world with the Holy Spirit in us, no matter where we are, um, people are going to see evidences of the Holy Spirit through love and through faith. And faith is the very thing that Jesus said we can do. It's the very thing that, um, that saves us. Um, because when the people said, well, well, you know, Lord, what is it that we need to do to do the works of God? Well, the work of God is to believe in him whom he sent. And I used to scratch my head about that for years until I started understanding Romans a whole lot better because um, our righteousness is through faith, by grace, by his blood. And when people see, see evidences of God in us, then we will look peculiar and that will get their attention because they see hopefully God and not us. One of the things that we talked about earlier in the class was how Jesus acted in ways that were unexpected and Paul acted in ways that were unexpected and when you walk by the Spirit instead of by the flesh, when the, the let, you let your connection with God and the Spirit play out in your life, people can expect the unexpected sometimes, right? That, that, that should become a regular thing around us. People should look at us and say, watch that guy, you're going to see some things that you don't expect. Yes? And if we're truly walking within the Spirit, as we have instruction to in several parts of the, the New Testament, there's no room for fleshly mindedness. It pushes it out there in direct opposition of each other. So you can't be spiritually minded and physically minded. You have to push one out of the way for the other. And just like she said, that's going to have a vast change on how we not only live our personal lives, but how it shows. So if you're truly being spiritually minded, there's no room for anything else. You can't have God and flesh in the same mind. You have to have one or the other. And so it gives you that laser focus like you spoke about Jesus. 
We're going to talk about that also in just a minute. Uh, as soon as I say that, I have to say that sometimes I act in ways that are fleshly. And yes, it does mean that this flesh is dominating at that moment. And it means that the spirit hasn't completely pushed out the, the call of the flesh. Um, because every one of us in this classroom knows exactly what I'm talking about, right? Um, there's not one of us that has completely dominated the way Jesus did our flesh with our spirit. We're really human. We're, sometimes we act like we're humans, that's right. Um, and so there is this battle that goes on inside of us. And it's a war. It's a war, that's right. Some, day, some days we win and some days we make a pretty poor showing of it. Okay. How will this spiritual mindedness affect our relationship with God? Now I'm, now I'm asking the obvious, right? Spiritual mindedness changes behavior, makes us more spiritual, spiritually minded. God is a spirit. We're going to connect with God in the spirit. We're going to do so by living spiritually. How can it but <coughs> augment our relationship with God to think and to live this way? And how will it affect our relationships with others? Well, maybe this is a little less obvious, but acting in a spiritual way will actually have positive, positive eventually have positive uh, outcomes in our relationships with other people, even if they're not spiritually minded. You act in the way that Romans chapter 12 teaches us to treat other people, even when they've treated us badly, how can it but have a positive effect, overall effect on your relationship, even if that relationship is not perfect. All right, I want to go on to another uh, point in another verse. Here's another way in which uh, our connection with the Spirit plays out our flesh and spirit duality, we tend to be dominated by either the works of the flesh or the works of the spirit, to the comment that was just made. And here's a verse, and I'm not going to go through reading all of the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit in Galatians chapter 5 that follows this verse, but this is how he sums it up and, and how he introduces the topic by saying, but I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It's hard to be, have your mind in the Spirit and follow after the flesh. You, ever, uh, you know what it's like driving at night, and you see the headlights of the car coming toward you, and your car starts veering over toward those headlights. It's a tendency of every driver, especially young drivers, before they train themselves not to, not to stare into the lights. You just get drawn to that light. It's whatever you pay attention to that draws you in that direction. If you're paying attention to the things of the Spirit, then you'll walk, then, then you'll, you'll, your direction will change so that you're not following the desires of the flesh. And you can go down that list and you can use it for a checklist if you like to see how you're doing. He categorizes different kinds of sin, <coughs> sums up as the, the works of the flesh. And then he says, what should replace that if we're walking uh, according to the Spirit? Those, those fleshly things should be replaced by things like love and joy and peace and long-suffering and patience and kindness and all of those things that he lists there that are fruit of the Spirit. Why does he call it fruit? Because it, it's the eventual outcome of having a mind that's rooted in the Spirit. It's what naturally happens to people when they are in the Spirit. 
It's not something you force yourself to do. Okay, today I'm going to be more loving. Well, you can't do that unless you're minded on things of this, unless you're connected with God. He's the source of your ability to do these things. I'm going to go on to the next um, points here because we're short on time now. Locate yourself on along the path to this transformation. That's what Galatians 5 and passages like that tend to do for us. They help us to find ourselves on this path. Where are you in terms of your connection with the Spirit? What have you got? What do you need? Um, what more do you need to do for yourself? What more can you, can you do for yourself through prayer and through fasting and through studying the Word of God, through spending time in meditation alone with God? Um, what can you do to improve yourself? Uh, and in re relationship to where you are right now. Because it's all about working your way towards a maturity where now we can say we're living after the Spirit. And not, to the, not that we'll ever get to the point where we never have to worry about the flesh ever raising its ugly head again, because it will happen. Jay? Is it exclusively working yourself toward that? Or allowing the Spirit to lead you that way? I, I, and I think the answer is yes. And I think we can go to Scripture and show that, that we play a role in that and that the Spirit of God plays a role in that. But perhaps it's, it's not what we, what we once thought and what the Jews often thought and what Paul spent the entire book of Galatians arguing against. It's not, I'm going to pull myself up by my own bootstraps and I'm going to live more perfectly according to the law. Amen. It's I'm going to create a greater connection with God and the Spirit. I'm going to... I'm going to um, do the things that are necessary to fortify my faith. And that means a lot of different things, right? Things that you can do to strengthen your faith. And we'll talk about some of those as the trimester goes on. Um, there are some things we can do. And having that connection with God and the Spirit, there are some things that God will do in us. And we'll hope to prove that as well. What is the remedy for what's the root cause for any deficiency that you find? I'm going to argue it's fundamentally a lack of faith. It's a lack of connection with God. And what's the remedy? Strengthen your faith. Strengthen your connection with God. What are we to pay attention to? Romans chapter 8 and verse 5. And this has been mentioned so many times. It almost goes without saying at this point. But... Paul says it really succinctly and clearly, and you can't miss this one, right? For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So how do you, how do you connect more with God in the Spirit? You set your mind on the things of the Spirit. How do you lose that connection? Well, your mind's going to naturally go back to the things of the flesh. If you don't focus on the things of the Spirit, that's what happens. We're people who live in the flesh, and um, the flesh shouts at us <clears throat> while the Spirit whispers. If you want to hear the Spirit, you've got to listen. Because if you don't, the noise of the flesh shouting at you will cover up that entire voice. That's what people normally do. That's, how they, that's why they're merely human. <clears throat> because the flesh is shouting at them 
and they haven't trained themselves to hear the Spirit. You can hear the Spirit, but only when the flesh is quieted. And we hear what we're trained to hear, what we train ourselves to hear, and what we're trained to hear when we come together at times like this, in places like this, to commune with one another in the Spirit. That helps to train us, doesn't it? Hones our spirits when we're around other people who are spiritually minded. <clears throat> and so we'd like the, spirit, the spiritual strength of the group to be strong enough to carry us and to help us and to augment us when we're weak. And those who are spiritually strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. Um, there's a story about a um, Native American who came to New York City for the first time, and there's this noise of the honking cars and the traffic as it passes, and the uh, people on the vendors on the street corner shouting, and, and uh, the Native American said, I hear a cricket. And the guy he was walking with said, how can you hear a cricket in all this noise? And he says, well, you hear what you're trained to hear. Yeah, that's true of the things of the Spirit. There's a lot of noise that's going to attract our attention naturally. You only hear the things of the Spirit when you train yourself to hear those things. Any final comments? I think we look at that being trained as mere obedience. And I believe that, again, it's allowing the Spirit, even when I have my weaknesses, allowing the Spirit to work through me. I have to have faith in Him that He can and will do that when I'm weak. Walking by faith and not by sight That's right. is another functional equivalent of having our minds set on the things of the Spirit. Um, walking by faith and not by sight, seeking first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. That's another, I think, equivalent saying. Thank you.